Thank you for being here to listen to the last speaker. Uh, Hans asked me to give a presentation on something that I often talk about, which is a rundown of freedom in the world and the different countries and where you ought to go to maximize it. And uh, a lot of people think that, uh, well, first of all, let me say, unlike all the other speeches, which were scientifically oriented in their analysis of the facts, what I'm going to do is give you opinions as opposed to hard science. So I want to forewarn you with that. And I want to start out with saying a lot of people think that it's inappropriate and actually crazy for me to be talking about freedom in the world because I had the good luck to be born in America in just after the Second World War when America really was a unique and special place. I mean, not just economically and physically. It had produced 80% of the world's cars, 80% of the world's airplanes. It had all the world's skyscrapers. It was by far the freest and most prosperous place in the world. And uh, why would anybody want to leave, even think of leaving, what was the best place in the world at that time? And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about where might be the best place in the world to go, depending on what you want. Now, unfortunately, I, although I was born in America, America has ceased to exist. It's now nothing but a platonic ideal. And it used to be real, even when I was younger. Uh, it's been replaced by the United States, uh, which unfortunately is just another nation state, like 220 others that cover the face of the globe like a skin disease. Uh, and it's not even the, it's not, it used to be incidentally these United States, which implied that it was a, there were 50 states that were these United. Now it's just the United States. It's just one gigantic entity led out of Washington. America was famous because it was free, but um, it's not anymore. It's been changing radically at uh, hyperbolic speed over the last several decades in particular. Why do I say this? Uh, aggressive wars all over the world. The government has active wars in probably about a dozen countries. Well, four that are well known, but about a dozen countries and it has troops uh, in about a hundred. Uh, it's now impossible as a practical matter for Americans to open up a foreign bank or brokerage account. And if you can't move your money out, what are you gonna do? You're, you're stuck. So they keep closing that off further and further all the time. Americans are the only people in the world that once you leave the country, even if I never ever came back to the United States, I'd be obligated to pay taxes to them just as if I lived there for the rest of my life and fill out all their forms as well. Uh, that's police state stuff and it's the only country in the world of which that's true. The last number I heard was there were about 6,000 SWAT teams in the US. I live in the northern summer, I live in Aspen, Colorado, which is a delightful, crime-free little resort town. Aspen has a SWAT team of about a dozen people. And I know some of the guys on that SWAT team. 
They all have an extra Y chromosome. They're all ex-military. Uh, they're dangerous dudes in a town like Aspen, where years ago when the sheriff pulled me over for speeding because I had been drinking, I passed him going twice the normal speed limit. He pulls me over, walks up, and says, oh, it's you. And he walks back to his car. Well, it turned out he'd been drinking too that night. <laughs> so, I mean, Aspen used to be the land of soft snow, hard drugs, and casual sex. But, 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 but now, there's police all over Aspen, and we have a, a dozen-man SWAT team. This is a sign of the times. Um, it, it's worse than that. Uh, in the U.S., I mean, uh, torture was something that we thought only happened in third world countries. Now it's a more or less official policy of uh, the military and uh, the Praetorian agencies. Uh, we have rendition, where they can pick you up anywhere in the world, American citizen, foreign citizen, and take you to some place, not in the US, but eh, maybe in your Romania or some Arab country or African country, and keep you there indefinitely, unknown. Uh, confiscation, if you have too much cash in the United States, if the police stop you and investigate, and you have more than a, maybe a thousand, two thousand dollars, who knows, they'll confiscate the money, and about a billion dollars a year is stolen that way, and it's used by local police departments, very corrupting. There's so many things. I mean, I'm just scratching the surface, because I don't want to talk about the US, I want to talk about the rest of the world, but I'm telling you why, I've spent most of my life, for the last uh, 30 or 40 years, outside the U.S. Well, you're probably saying, yes, yes, but the U.S. has a constitution, and a good constitution, and they always argue about it and interpret it, and they take it seriously. And the answer to that question is no, they don't. I mean, there's a lot of problems with the constitution as a document. I'm not a fan of the U.S. constitution, really. It's, it's far too conservative. But uh, it's a dead letter. The whole thing has been interpreted out of existence. It's totally meaningless at this point, so forget about that. You know, it's funny. Uh, when I grew up as a kid in the 1950s, when in our gang, where if somebody was doing something that the other guys didn't like, we'd say, hey, cut it out. And the guy would say, hey, it's a free country. And everybody would say, okay, yeah. But now, I haven't heard that phrase used by anybody for decades. Nobody says, hey, it's a free country anymore. I mean, that's in a, a remnant of intellectual honesty. People don't use that because they know it's not really true. <laughs> uh, and you remember in the 70s, there used to be a joke during the Vietnam War. And we used to say, uh, America's never going to have concentration camps. We'll call them something else. And by God, that's exactly what happened. They're called detention centers. Guantanamo is the most famous example, but it's not the only one. In the US, we have 5% of the world's population, about 25% of the world's prisoners, much more than China or Russia or any other place. It's 10 times the number of prisoners per capita of any other developed country. Uh, do you know that when you're prosecuted for a pro crime in the United States, the chances of your being convicted or the prosecutor winning, let me put it that way, 
are 99.5%. That's a shocking number. How can that possibly be? I mean, you watch the crime dramas on television, and you know, it seems all up and up, and the prosecutor's a stand-up guy, he's not a jerk. Well, what happens is that 99.5% of the time the prosecutor wins because 97% of all cases are plea bargained. People don't fight these things. They throw the book at you and say, okay, we can go to court and you can bankrupt yourself with lawyers and maybe get a prison term, a nasty one, or we can plea bargain this, a large fine or maybe a suspended sentence, and they win one that way. So this is, what, this is why it's 99.5% of the time the prosecutor wins, because 97% of the time they're plea bargains. So I'm about to tell you about other parts of the world, in my opinion. But I'll tell you this. In the US, there's no running, there's no jumping, there's no swimming, there's no diving, there's no fishing, there's no hunting. I mean, I used to be able to carry my rifle and my pistol on on United Airlines when I flew from Chicago to Washington, D.C., and I was a teenage kid. Nobody cared, so forget about all these things. Uh, you can't take videos of police anymore. There's no speeding, and if the cop stalks you, you better not back, back talk him. You know, there's no juking, joking, jiving, socializing, blowing dope, snorting coke, practicing your stroke. You can forget about all that. And, <laughs> And worst of all, there's no smoking. I mean, it's become a national mania. So this, this bullshit about the land of the free and the home of the brave, I find it embarrassing because the fact that since on the media, people heard that Turkey was a dangerous place, that's why half of the people, I understand, that were supposed to be at this conference, probably all Americans, didn't come. <laughs> The, the land of the free, they're full of scared kitties. But actually, they're not scared kitties. I call them whip dogs. Because when you see them standing in line obediently for some petit fonctionnaire, whether he's a cust US customs agent or a TSA agent, which are the bottom of the barrel, you know, they're polite and they grovel and they make supplicating motions. They're whip dogs. And it's worse than that. If they really, if the fonctionnaire confronts them at all, they'll roll over on their backs and wet themselves. So, America, America used to be exceptional, but now they say it's exceptional when it's not. It's just like all the other worthless nation states in the world. So, I got some more bad news for you. Uh, it's going to get worse. And it's going to get worse for several reasons, because of the second law of thermodynamics is one of them, which basically states, the second law is from physics, but it applies to all of reality. And it basically says that unless you have a significant outside input of energy, entropy takes over, and things degrade and wind down and corrupt. And that's what's been happening to the US. Well, it depends on where we want to pick the top of American civilization. But it's getting out of control now. And worse than that, criminals or criminal personalities are naturally attracted to the state. Uh, why? Because the state is pure coercion and force. 
It's congealed force. So naturally, just like hitmen are attracted to the mafia and religious people are attracted to the church, criminal personalities are attracted to the state. It's logical. And when you get a certain critical mass, you get enough of these people, even the decent people that were just looking for a job don't want to work there. And I think we're reaching that point in the United States too. So, but there's something even worse than this that guarantees that things are now going to get very bad very quickly. And this is because of the Greater Depression, which is something that started in 2007. We entered a gigantic financial hurricane, and this is going to affect the whole world and all these other countries I'm going to talk about. Uh, we entered a, a gigantic financial hurricane in 2007, but that's just the leading edge of the hurricane. And then all these governments all around the world created trillions and trillions of currency units. And that poured oil of the water during the eye of the storm. And it was a big eye from, let's say, 2010 to this year because it's a gigantic hurricane. And I hate to make predictions. You know that if you make a, predict an event, you're not supposed to predict the time. But I'm going to do both. We're going to enter the trailing edge of this hurricane. We're entering the trailing edge of this hurricane right now. And it's going to be much worse and much different and much longer lasting than the unpleasantness of 2007 to 2010, which was very scary, incidentally. But now we're really in for it. And why it's bad from a personal freedom point of view is that these governments that are responsible for this depression are going to look to blame somebody else. And that usually means war. Now, the next war is going to be different than the last wars, but that's not the subject I want to talk about. And war is the health of the state, so all these states are going to get worse until they collapse utterly. But even then, I mean, I hope for the collapse of these states. But should I? Because if I was in France in 1789, I would have cheered the overthrow of Louis XIV. But then, what happened? They got Robespierre, and then they got Napoleon. And if I was in Russia, I would have cheered the overthrow of Tsar Nicholas. But then what happened? They got Lenin, and then they got Stalin. So things usually get worse in a period of chaos, especially in a society as degraded as the whole world has come, where they look at the state as their mother, and a cornucopia, and a cure for all the ills of the world. So where should you go? Forget the United States. You go to live in the United States, once you leave, if you live there more than seven years, they're going to look for, you, for taxes from you for the rest of your life. So uh, Canada? Well, Anglo-Saxon countries would be your first choice, obviously, because John Locke and Adam Smith and that tradition, all the Anglo-Saxon countries. Canada, smaller than the US, smaller is good. Bigger land area, smaller population, it's good. Unfortunately, and I've lived in Canada, I've, I've been to about 150 countries. I've lived in 10. And like Canada, Can Canadians are nicer than Americans. But uh, they're much more politically correct. Uh, maybe that started with the US Revolution, where all the people that wanted to stay with the crown as opposed to, you know, you know they all moved to Canada, frankly. Uh, so Canada's going in a wrong direction now, especially with their new premier and so forth, uh, who's uh, Trudeau. He's actually crazy. Um, 
So you've got to rule out Canada. It's just America light. That's all it is. Um, and, and if Washington says jump, Ottawa says how high. So forget about it. How about uh, Australia and New Zealand? Oh, kind of interesting. Uh, Australia is where all the British criminals went, and New Zealand is where all the British serfs went. And I lived in New Zealand for years, and I actually became a, a landed immigrant there. Should have become a citizen, but I didn't. I could have become a Canadian citizen too, but I didn't. Uh, I forgot the six Ps. You all know what the six Ps are, don't you? Proper planning prevents piss poor performance. So I, for, I forgot them when I was living in those two countries. But um, it's funny about Australia. Everything in Australia will kill you. Uh, everything's deadly, all the spiders, all the snakes, everything. Crocodiles, it's horrible. You go across the Tasman Strait to New Zealand, it's, it's the most benign country in the world. Nothing will hurt you there. There's no dangerous anything. The only thing that will hurt you is a visiting Australian stock promoter. That's about the only thing. And I like New Zealand uh, still, but it's got its own set of problems that we could talk about. Uh, but it's a good choice. It's a good choice if you want to go. It's the South Pacific, um, especially if you go to the South Island. Uh, it's not bad. The problem with those two countries is they both suffer from what's called, and they acknowledge it, the tall poppy syndrome. In other words, if you stand out, if you're richer or louder or better or more opinionated than anybody else, they want to chop off the tall poppy. So it is a phenomenon there. Uh, I mean, I was a tall poppy when I was there, but I was just a crazy foreigner. They didn't really care. And this is the advantage of living in a country other than your own country. You can get away with a lot of things. If you're a well-to-do foreigner, hey, he's crazy, but he spends money. He can't hurt us. He doesn't, can't get involved in politics, can't vote. You know. So there's a lot of advantages to living someplace other than the place where you have your own nationality. I think that's very important. Among other things, you don't want to be a medieval serf. I mean, you're born in one place, you live there, you die there, and you're afraid to travel like these idiots that didn't come to this conference because they heard that there might be dragons over that hill. They heard those rumors. <laughs> you know, acting like a plant is not a good survival strategy for a person. So that's, that's why I, I like the idea of being uh, air mobile. And it's treated me very well financially, too, because historically what I've always done is I've gone to crisis countries that were nice, and I liked them, and I could see the potential, and I bought real estate, and I haven't had to work or, I mean, my living expenses have been zero, regardless of any investment results I had in real investments. I've been paid for living places. I mean, I bought an apartment in Hong Kong, I got 10 for one on it by the time I sold it. Uh, all the land I bought in New Zealand, I bought it when, you know, it was, the, it was like New Zealand was becoming the shallow end of the gene pool because anybody with any brains and enough money to get on a plane to London or Sydney or Los Angeles did it. I went there to play polo, incidentally, because it was about one-tenth the cost of Palm Beach and much better polo. Destroyed my body, but that's a different story. Uh, Still, there's a lot of financial advantages, in addition, especially if you're not an American, to not living in one country permanently. Okay, that's Australia, New Zealand. Europe, uh, you all want to hear an opinion about Europe. I'll give you an opinion. This place, forget about it. 
it's, I mean, listen, I like the cafes, I like the food, I like the apparently high standard of living and so forth, but I'll, the future for Europe, if you're lucky, is to be a petting zoo for the Chinese. In the future, wealthy Chinese families are going to take pride in having a European houseboy and a European maid, the shoe's going to be on the other foot. It's going to be different the way, than the way it was in the last century. Well, that's if you're lucky. More likely, you're going to be overwhelmed with millions and millions of migrants from Africa. And I'm not just talking North Africa and the Middle East. That's tough enough. I'm talking about from Africa south of the Sahara. You probably heard that the Italian uh, Coast Guard went to Libya. These people weren't off the coast of Italy. They went to Libya and picked up 10,000 refugees, and they were all South of Saharan Africans. Hey, come on, those jungle drums are going to be beating. Come on up. Free housing, free food. You know, millions of them. Feed people, boat people. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. Migration is, is part of human history. Uh, well, in the end, this place will wind up as Disneyland. But Disneyland has paper mache castles. This will have real castles. So you'll have, you'll have an advantage, a marginal advantage over the real Disneyland. You'll be a phony Disneyland, but a phony Disneyland with real buildings. Uh, what next? Well, all the governments on this continent are bankrupt. All the banks are bankrupt. Italy's not the only one. They're all in the same position for lots of different reasons that are not relevant for me to go into right now. The European Union is going to break up. Ah, oh, some good news. The good news is the European Union is going to dry up and blow away. It was always a mistake from the very beginning. Um, the euro is going to reach its intrinsic value. <laughs> but this is, this is the most heavily taxed and regulated continent in the world, and I don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to pan out. But in the meantime, it's going to be uh, tough running. I don't know why a European who's got assets lives in Europe at this point. I think it's a strategic error, and I'm not kidding. Uh, that brings us to Asia. I love Asia. I've spent a lot of time in Asia. For what it's worth, my favorite countries in Asia are Thailand and the Philippines. They're very different, but they're the two countries. Well, there's Singapore, too, of course. But um, they're very different, but they're welcoming to foreigners. The problem, if it's a problem, with Asian countries is, and much more with Thailand, which I really like. Uh, I like it more than the Philippines, actually. Is that um, you're never going to be part of Thai society. You can take a Thai spouse learn to speak Thai, you're never going to be part of, a, part of the picture. That's good news, but it can be bad news. It just depends on what your personal psychology is. So consider Asia, and those are the two countries I look at. Depending on what your risk profile is and what you want, Africa. If I was 30 years old, again, or 40, I would definitely go to Africa. That is where you can make a fortune. Uh, not by trying to do business. Trying to do business in this increasingly regulated world, I think that's a sucker's bet. Uh, you've, got to be, you've got to act as a speculator. A speculator 
incidentally, I define as somebody who capitalizes on politically caused distortions in the market. And emphasizing the political Africa is definitely the place where you can do that. And I'll talk a little bit more about that if I have time. Let's go to Latin America. Uh, I've been to every country in Latin America numerous times. I live there half the year now. Um, they're all different, these countries. They're all like islands. I mean, South America, forget about Central America. That's where the Frito Bandito lives. That's where guys, that's where gringos that don't have any money or overage want to meet young girls and drink cheap beer. That's where they go. Forget about Central America. The whole place is a write-off. Uh, South America is interesting. And one of the most interesting countries is Colombia. Eh, maybe their civil war is starting up again. I don't know. But it's still interesting. Uh, and we don't have time to talk about all these countries. I will mention the one I chose, which is Argentina. All my friends thought I was crazy. They, they really thought I lost it when I put a lot of money, not a little, a lot, in Argentina. I know, I know. It's the country where money goes to die. And I had a psychotic break when it happened. I actually think I did. But now, because since Perón in the 50s, straight downhill. Uh, but you know, despite the fact it's an economic disaster, um, it's from a standard of living point of view, by far the best place in Latin America. It's uh, more European than Europe at this point, uh, ethnically and all other ways. It's very nice. It's outward looking, uh, unlike every other country in Latin America, which is all the rest of her islands. I mean, Chile, very nice, but it's a conservative island. They love the army. They love the police. Forget about Chile, even though it's nice in a lot of other ways. Uh, Argentina, they hate the army. They hate the police. An Argentine is an Italian who speaks Spanish but thinks he's British. And, <laughs> The good thing about that is, like Italians, they all hate taxes. It's a very corrupt country, but that's a good thing. I don't like corruption, except when you have, well, like Tacitus said, the more numerous the laws, the more corrupt the country. So any country that has a lot of laws necessarily must be and should be corrupt, because only through corruption can you evade the laws, which would otherwise strangle you. So in Argentina, there's nothing that a little packet of bills won't cure. So that's a nice thing about it. But from a sociological, demographic point of view, it's way above. And it's actually got the largest libertarian community in all of Latin America by an order of magnitude. There's not even a second place. So uh, uh, come to Argentina. I have a development down there. It's a kind of a libertarian development, very upmarket, but nice. Uh, very nice. So you can come and visit us there. I, I would promote Argentina if you're looking. Uh, if I was a European with some money, you go down there, especially since they got a new government right now. Uh, the guy's a decent human being. He's got basically the right ideas, I mean, in the context of, you know, states. But um, I think Argentina is going to have at least five good years at this point. So that's covering the world and where I would go. But uh, you guys shouldn't be planted in Europe. This is, I'd be embarrassed. I know it's fun here. You got your family here. That's always an excuse. Oh, but my family is here. Well, 
when the going gets tough, your family's gonna thank you for having a crib where they can run to. I mean, people always look at things from the wrong side of the telescope. But uh, since there's no place in the world where freedom is really at home, after a while, I decided that, uh, you know, I'm like a vulture in some ways, as an investor and otherwise. And you know that famous poster where the two vultures are sitting on a, on a, a limb in the middle of the desert? And the one vulture looks at the other and says, patience my ass, I'm gonna kill something. So, I kind of feel that way. And so my hobby for the last, Jesus, 30 years now, more than that, has been going to backward little third world countries and sitting down, preferably with a military dictator. Uh, <laughs> and I've been successful doing this, it's not hard to do. Uh, preferably in an ex-People's Republic of some description. And what I do is I give them a proposition. Uh, and I'm not kidding you. Uh, I say, look, I can do three things for you. I can make you internationally famous and put you on the front cover of every magazine in the world in a good light for the next decade. They like that because they're basically, you know, treated as criminals everywhere. Second thing is I can make you legitimately very wealthy. They like that because they're basically there to steal and they know what happened to Marcos and Mobutu and all these guys. You can't do that so much anymore. And third, I'll make the people love you. You'll be the George Washington of this country. Oh, that beats a 45 to the back of the head. Okay, tell me more. <laughs> so, I've had lots of interesting adventures in uh, a dozen different countries doing this. And it's just a hobby. I'll never succeed, although I thought I was gonna get close a couple times. But I'll give you a taste of one. One of the early ones, Actually, it was kind of the first one. When I hatched the scheme, I went to the Republic of Dominica, not Dominican Republic, Dominica. And um, so, it's just a little island, 60,000 people, very pretty. And uh, I did what I always do, or used to do, when I go to these countries, take out the yellow pages, and see what's in there. See if there's somebody I want to talk to, get to know. I mean, I don't want to sit in my hotel room or lay on the beach. I mean, that's a waste of time. So I, I was interviewing lawyers and real estate agents. I also go to art galleries. Those are the three places where rich, powerful people hang out in these countries. So this one lawyer and I got along, and he said, you know, you ought to meet my brother Kenny. He's the, develop he's the president of the Industrial Development Bank. Kind of a ridiculous title. There's no industry in that country. So <laughs> he sets up a a meeting, a dinner for me with his brother that night. And um, we're having dinner, and he's, uh, uh, Kenny is suspicious of me because, um, you know, I'm a, a white guy. I look like, and I was, an Uhuru jumper. And uh, he's suspicious. He's met guys like me before that are coming and trying to hustle, you know, some kind of a scam with them. So anyway, I'm thinking on my feet. And... Um, what I said to him was, look, you've got a lot of crown land in this country. Nothing's happening with it. Why don't we take a thousand acres, the top of a mountain or something like that, and we'll put it in a corporation. And then we'll sell shares in the corporation. I know this sounds like John Law or something like that, but it's not. Uh, we'll sell shares to investors. 
at let's say $50,000 a share. And what we're going to give them is economic citizenship in Dominica. Okay, now this is, this is a true story. And you're going to think, I'm really, I really missed the boat, and I did. And I'll tell you how. So we'll grant citizenship to people for $50,000. And they'll get a at the time, people from Hong Kong and South Africa were the two countries that really wanted passports. This was back in about 1980 or something like that. So um, I you know, explained that to Kenny, and I said, look, we can sell 1,000 of these. And he's doing the arithmetic. I mean, he is the director of the Industrial Development Bank, 50,000 times 1,000, 50 million. And uh, I said, but that's not all. I said, once we've done that and have capitalized it, and we make a few changes in the legal code, now we take it public in London, New York, and Tokyo and raise a lot of money. And he's thinking, and I said, I was thinking too. And I said, and let's say we take it public at $10 a share. And people that are of significant help to the corporation, well, a person like you, for instance, might get a million warrants at a penny a share. And I'm hoping he can do the arithmetic because these numbers are pretty big now. <laughs> and 10 minutes later, you know what happened? He went off and he called Mrs. Eugenia Charles, uh, who was the president of the country at that time. You may recall when the United States invaded Grenada, which happened shortly thereafter, it was not Ronald Reagan, but it was Eugenia Charles who was the head of the invasion force. You always got to get a beard when you invade a nothing nowhere country. If you're the US, you make it a coalition. That's what they always do. So he, I had an appointment with Mrs. Charles the next morning. Now you're wondering, oh, this is interesting. Well, here's what happened. Turns out her father was very sick, and she, he died that very night. And now it's a Caribbean funeral and all this. And like an idiot, uh, my plane was that next night, and I got on the plane. I should have camped out there. Because it turns out <coughs> that Dominica, along with St. Kitts and Nevis, was the first country that had economic passports and economic citizenships. And it's a big business today. It was my idea, and I've never even gone back there to you know, sit down with Kenny and shake him down for my citizenship and passport <laughs> for free. So, you know, that's the problem with my hobby. I can tell you stories like this in all these countries. You've got to live there and hold these people's hands. Uh, otherwise, you know, but do I really want to do that? I, I didn't say it was my life's work. I said it was a hobby. But I'm still doing that today. And uh, so anyway, I've told you why you shouldn't go to the U.S., what other countries you might want to look at, and what I really think you ought to think of doing is going out and killing something, like a vulture. So, okay, thanks.